Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey everyone, welcome to Dan Snow's History. I've got an episode of Warfare for you today. It's our special military history podcast. Go and subscribe wherever you get your pods. Presented by Dr. James Rogers. It covers, well, warfare from the early modern period, but particularly First and Second World War. So recently we've been doing a lot on Ukraine as well. It's fascinating stuff. He gets great guests. Enjoy this episode. It's an eye-opener. Today marks 78 years since D-Day, that day when the spearhead of Operation Overlord, around 156,000 Allied troops, landed along five beaches in Normandy, France, to begin the liberation of Europe. But while we often focus on the decision-making of great generals like Eisenhower and Monty, or the overall battles and strategy, we rarely focus in on the experience of the men who fought and lost their lives. I'm your host, James Rogers. This is the Warfare Podcast. And to tell the individual stories of soldiers on D-Day, we've chosen to focus in on the 6th and 7th Green Howards, a remarkable battalion who fought their way off Gold Beach, won the only VC on D-Day, and managed to make it over 10 kilometers inland, further than any other British or American unit. Now, I spent the last week in Normandy tracing the steps of the Greenhowers from Gold Beach and along every battle inland for our new history hit TV documentary, which is out today. And while I was there, I met with battlefield historian Eric Turnbull. Eric is one hell of a character who knows all those amazing little details you want a battlefield historian to know. So I invited him on the podcast to tell us about the mighty Greenhowards. If you want to access the new film, then head over to historyhit.com and follow along on my journey through Normandy on Instagram and TikTok at James Rogers History. But now, here is Eric Turnbull on the Green Howards. Enjoy. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the Warfare Podcast. How are you doing? Good morning, James. Very well. Typical Norman day, unfortunately. But yeah, all very good. Thank you very much. Good. Well, it's been a couple of weeks since I last saw you and we were trudging up and down in that gale force sandstorm that was sweeping across Gold Beach. It wasn't much fun weather-wise, was it? It was a delightful day, full of the green hours. It was a real good experience for everybody. Well, that's it. That's exactly what we're going to do. And we're going to be following the Green Howards in this new documentary. But I wanted to get you on the podcast as an expert on this section of the beach, and to talk to us a bit about the Green Howards. Give our listeners a bit of an indication of what to expect in our new D-Day special out on June 6th. So take us through the events on Gold Beach. 
As troops started to land, what were they faced with? They're flanked by two positions, WN-33, WN-35. T Company and A Company doing the main assault. Very rough weather conditions on Gold Beach. Widest beach, I would have said. Because of that, none of the tanks were really launched at sea. They were driven close in. And it ended up with an incredibly good landing for the Green Howards. Assault tanks, you know, Churchill AVREs, what we call Hobart's Funnies, etc. Assault engineers, infantry assault companies, amphibious Shermans driven more or less straight onto the beach, all landing within a few minutes of each other. There was quite a few problems just to their left for a few minutes, as the Germans had an 88 anti-tank gun angled down the beach from WN-33. Luckily, that was knocked out quite quickly. The beach, you know, it's a big, wide area, Gold Beach. It's the widest beach to land on. A lot of movement to cover. D Company made very, very quick progress through what we call the train stop, where A Company met quite heavy resistance as they approached WN-35. The follow-on companies were landed very, very quickly. Ada, Churchill AVREs and a couple of Shermans quickly put place to WN-35. WN-33 caused a little bit of problem, especially for the supporting battalions. But D Company, they were off the beach very, very quickly and progressing. Germans had mined a lot of the areas round about, obviously. There was quite a lot of fire coming down on the beach. Naval bombardment had done really well to the German artillery positions along Mauvais Ridge. Quite a few of them were abandoned on D-Day by the Russian troops or the East European troops who were manning them. Well, take us through that, Eric, because they've managed to get off the beach, by the sounds of it, relatively quickly. And that is down to the fact that the Greenhowards are one of the few who land pretty much in the right place. But they've also, like you mentioned, they've got that really important tank support. And they're kind of coming up in a combined arms manoeuvre. How long does it take them to get off the beach in total? D Company, they would have been moving in, sure, within about 20 minutes. About the same time as C Company were coming in behind them. A Company, you know, they meet quite a lot of resistance as they try to work their way quite a few hundred yards along the beach. They had to swing round the back of WN-35. B Company were coming offering a bit of assistance, pushed up the hill behind them. Once the tanks arrived at WN-35, that also fell quite quickly. You know, you would look at that going within kind of half an hour or so of landing. We were literally right on top of them. An hour or so of landing. So that is pretty swift off this beach. And that's one of the remarkable things about the Green Howards and the 6th and 7th who we follow is that they do manage to move off the beach and then continue to move inland remarkably quickly, despite the fact they have some pretty fierce objectives in their way. What is the first objective that meets the Green Howards? Apart from getting off the beach, of course. Yeah. <laughs> beach was always a big problem. Just before we move on to that, I would have said, you know, as a unit that landed, it was probably the best combined landing on D-Day. You know, all there right on the right spot. As you said, right place, right time. But the naval bombardment having been effective along the ridge behind. First objective was the Montfleury gun battery. The Green Howards were ordered to move fast and avoid opposition for D-Day. Circumvent stuff, you know, push as quickly as possible inland on D-Day. Cut the by a con road, Paris-Cherbourg trunk road, main road in France, you know, Normandy to Paris. Got very close to it as well by the end of the day. So off the beach, we're looking, moving up the two tracks from the train stop in WN35. They were dispersed along the ridge to take out the little local gun batteries. Didn't make much to opposition there. C and D Company, or C Company, will first brush uh, the Montfleury gun battery. 
we have the famous action by Stan Hollis, you know, because they bypassed a couple of forward bunkers down by what we call the Lavendry Pan Villa. Hollis charged them, taking the first, destroying the first one, second one surrendering. You know, that could have caused them lots of problems if that had been left in the rear. So it was an incredible action for Hollis. The gun battery had been heavily shelled all around. Didn't offer too much opposition. Guns were really out in the open at Montfleur. You know, it was still being built. Only two casements were actually finished. Didn't really hold them up for too long. You know, by midday, they were circumventing Crepon. That's quite a few miles inland. So they're doing really well, bypassing Crepon, heading up towards Saint-Gabriel. You know, we have a link-up with the Canadians, with the 7th Battalion, quite early on D-Day, about 11-ish. But was it after they left Crepon and moved inland that they started to face slightly heavier resistance as they came through. And Hollis is a recurring feature in this story because he's quite a remarkable man, isn't he, Eric? I describe him as a bit of a warrior. And he looks at it as well. Do we know much about his background? To be honest, I've read it, but it was absolutely donkey's years. Probably about 30 years ago, I read a little bit of his. So I wouldn't want to make errors. I believe he came out of Dunkirk, and he was a leader. He's a man of action, Hollis. No messing around. And that was obvious as soon as he was on the way down to the beach. You know, he sees what he thinks is a pillbox and straight away starts shooting at it with a Lewis gun or something. And then the action to take the two pillboxes. Absolutely incredible. You know, straight off, in there. <laughs> no messing around. <laughs> Just the type of guy you need on D-Day to kind of motivate your troops and keep them going. And of course, when they got up to Crepon, the rest of the battalion went round and through Crepon very, very quickly, just leaving D Company. We were kind of following up behind at that point. And they check out Crepon. And then Hollis has the action at the pavilion farm. See what they think is a gun battery behind the hedges. <laughs> and he fires a pee at the missus. Almost gets his head taken off by a round. You know, everybody's meant to escape. The security team had been shot in the orchard. And then he gets back and he's going, yeah, 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 yeah. And all you hear is the sound of Brens going off and he's going, oh, bugger it, you know, I've left them behind. <laughs> so he runs straight up the road again. <laughs> Apparently run straight in the middle of the field where the three other guys had got killed and shooting at the Germans and going, get that bloody hell out of there, you know. Very successful, you know, he is a man of incredible character. <laughs> He's a good person to do a tour about, yeah. <laughs> so he quite literally runs back into the firing line, back into the heat of battle to save his men. Yeah, he's just one of those characters, kind of nothing stops him. And he had another famous action quite later on, on June 11th at Crizzle where they were stuck in a lane with a German machine gun, 50, 60 yards in front, and they're all lying down, heads down. And he blew him off, throws a grenade, but forgets to take the pin out. <laughs> so he ran at the Germans. Oh, wow. Knowing that they would see the grenade and panic for a few seconds, and he managed to knock out the machine gun position. <laughs> He's just one of those characters, Stan Hollis, yeah. Somebody you want on your side, yes. <laughs> Certainly someone you want on your side, but... You know, the Greenhouse were able to continue to push inland despite this resistance getting more difficult and despite the heroic actions they've seen. So as we follow their story through, how far do they manage to push towards their final objective of the day, Eric? As they're pushing in throughout the afternoon, it took the Germans a bit of time to react on D-Day. Part of the 352nd, the 915th, what we call Kampf Group Meyer, had actually been practising since April, counter-attacking the kind of eastern side of Gold Beach. But we were very badly displaced on D-Day. You know, the German higher command made some really big cock-ups on D-Day about what to do. And so they dispatched them kind of westwards and then brought them back. 
So by the time Green Howard and their other supporting battalion start moving around San Gabriel, we're seeing the advanced units of the Camp Group Meyer coming into counterattacks. Now, luckily, you know, the Dragoon Guards, they engaged Stugs. They lost a few tanks. Germans lost a few Stugs. They had to battle about four o'clock in the afternoon. You know, we threw the best part of the Yorkshires and the Green Howards into this defeat of the German counterattack coming in through San Gabriel and Bresse, and that really kind of held them up for the rest of the day. The Howards had to do a flanking action on them. Now, we absolutely destroyed them on D-Day. I read a report just a few weeks ago, just after I saw you last time, that the Reconnaissance Battalion, 352nd Division, had only something like 40 people that reassembled in Ducey San Marguerite, which is right in the advance, straight over the main road from where the Howards were hoping to get to on the night. They said only 40 people, about 600, turned up on June the 7th. We absolutely wiped that counterattack off the face of the earth on D-Day. Now, it obviously delays the Green Howards and their supporting units. Almost got to the San Leger feature. By the end of the night, they're going to drop a good defensive line around San Gabriel Bresse. Now, that's a good six-mile push in land by the end of the day. Biggest advances that there are. You know, gold was an incredibly good landing. Never gets enough press, in my opinion. American politics are all struggle and strategy, passion and persuasion, and so much scandal. And they always have been. I'm Don Wildman, and on American History Hit, we're delving into Alexander Hamilton, whose bio was big enough for Broadway. From war to women and a dueling death to boot, Hamilton is a fundamental chapter of the American tale. Join me and a cast of worldly experts to meet the real Alexander Hamilton on American History Hit wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, Eric, you say that's kind of the best landing and the furthest inland. Furthest inland compared to what? How far do the Green Howards get inland? Are they the furthest? out of kind of the British and the Americans on D-Day? Yeah, they probably did have the furthest truck. They can take that accolade. Yeah. The British did really well. All of them pushed really well inland. The advance from Sword was a very good advance. Delayed throughout the day, obviously. We had a lot of problems at Sword. The Canadians had a really good landing. They probably pushed 
By the end of the night, they'd drawn up a defensive line about five and a half, six miles inland with various units, Winnipeg rifles and first two Zars. The following units, they'd pushed probably about five and a half miles inland as well. There's a little dip in the centre of the Canadian line because they had problems in Corsos, but a very good advance. And gold, yeah. Really, I would say they pushed the furthest. You know, there's not going to be too much in it. We'll have some big arguments about is that yardage, probably. But yeah, for any unit that went straight inland, the Green Howards, and meeting the opposition that they did, you know, kind of late afternoon, had a very good kind of six-mile push inland. And they're relatively still intact as a unit as well, aren't they? They are. You know, casualties, Green Howards, not many at all. I never actually looked up the real battalion figure, but they're more or less as an intact unit for the morning of June the 7th when the whole of Gold Beach clears up all of its DD objectives on June the 7th in preparation for the 8th Armoured Brigade pushed south on June the 8th. So the Green Howards, you know, by the 7th, they'll be on top of the saint Leger feature. So the whole brigade, you know, 69th Brigade's up there. 8th Armoured Brigade's pushing up there with the mobile artillery from the Essex Yeomanry. And so from there onwards, the advance until the arrival of Panzer Lair, who were pulling in on June the 8th, kind of stopped the 30th Corps advance, quite dead for a few weeks. A very, very good unit, Panzer Lair, you know, Rommel's old chief of staff from North Africa, Berlin. And you see the counterattacks by them in the bio on June the 9th and the 8th Armoured Brigade advance for Hill 103. And then you kind of see the Great Howards in actions around Ducey San Marguerite, where I used to live late on June the 7th. Now the problem was coming in on their flank was, you know, the very, very famous 12th SS. So lately, within a day or so of that Allied landings, if we look where the British and Germans are deploying very, very quickly, we're seeing the brunt of the German advance into the British sector at that point. You know, we have the 21st Panzer Division on D-Day. We have 12th SS coming in. Some of them arriving very early, June the 7th, stopped the Canadian advance on Car PK. The rest of them are pulling in throughout the day and the next day. Panzer layers on its way. All have been slightly held up by Allied air support and all the rest. But literally within three days of landing, we're sitting with three Panzer divisions right in front of us. And you really call them some of the cream of the cream of the Germans. 12th SS were probably the most difficult Germans ever to fight against in Normandy. And the Panzer layer, you know, that's the cream of the Wehrmacht at that point. So we're not going to go far. <laughs> You know, if you look at what happened in front of the Green Howards, the 8th Armoured Brigade managed to push down on June the 8th, and we fought in the village of Audrey on and off for a few days, but we took the hill, Hill 103. We were on the top of that by the night of the 8th. We built up the 8th Armoured Brigade, and we have the massive battles for, you know, 7th Armoured and 56th Brigade going down in the Tays or so. But I live here, and they say the town changed hands 23 times, June the 11th to June the 23rd. We absolutely destroyed one of the Panzalea regiments here. Apparently they leave only 112 people or something. 901st Regiment. So yeah, the Howards are, you know, the front line at this point. Obviously everybody's not on the front line at the same time. But the action of the Howards, Ducey uh, Sandman Greek Wood, you know, right scrap. We weren't very successful in taking it on the night of June the 7th. And then we pushed down the Dorsets, you know, the tanks into Audrey, and then Green Howards are coming back into it, 10th, 11th. We've got Battle at Cruzel. You know, there was one German Panther tank at Cruzel and knocked out, I think it was about 8 out of 10 tanks in about 20 minutes at Cruzel, where the Green Howards were. It's a massive action on June the 11th. Huge German counterattacks into our 8th Armoured Brigade position along June the 10th, June the 11th, 
we pulled back out of Saint-Pierre on the 12th. We were getting battered, both by Panther tanks, Panzer Mark IVs, you know, studs, SP guns. It was a really heavy front-line position to hold. Was there anybody up there on the front line? You know, they're seeing the cream of the cream of the Germans at this point in the Battle of Normandy. And even holding our good established defensive positions. And, of course, the problem for us is we had really crap weather. You know, the landings and materials and supplies in the first few days of D-Day fell really behind schedule. You know, we suffered that storm. You know, the weather wasn't good for landing stuff. If you look at some of the pictures, Gold Beach, you know, at high tide, you can see some of the vehicles all swamped out, big waves breaking on the beach. And there's absolutely no beach to land anywhere on at high tide, so it causes huge traffic jams, huge build up stuff that should have landed earlier on. It's a massive problem everywhere on D-Day. You know, there's literally no beach to land on after a few hours. And, you know, when we went down to WN35, you know, in that windy day, we saw those bunkers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they were 30 yards out of the sea. That's how much coastal erosion that they've had now. I remember how windy it was when we were there. Yeah, and this is the thing that I think is often forgotten, is the fact you might have this really long sandy beach as you come in and you're going to have to wade in through... 60 meters of shoreline and water but once the tide is high you've got no beach left and so you can't get those supplies in and you know the mulberry harbors don't go up immediately to start bringing in millions of tons of stuff so you're pretty much on your own for the first couple of days and this is what makes the green howards so remarkable and it's why we've followed their story now eric they don't go unrewarded for this bravery and this achievement Tell us a bit about one of their final, perhaps most famous accolades. Well, the Victoria Cross for Stan Hollis, isn't it? This is the only Victoria Cross for D-Day. And if anybody deserved it, you know, Hollis's actions, from a tour guide's point of view, it's one of the best stories there is. And for the Brits in general, you know, it's one of the biggest accolades. I really think the two most famous bits for the Brits out of the first day of Overlord, which we call D-Day, because you need to look at it as day one. You know? <laughs> Big campaign, day one. Takes all of the press, as we know. It's Hollis's actions, of course. And the character deserved it. You know, he was an incredible soldier. And John Howard's action at the Pegasus Bridge. You know, those are really two famous actions for the Brits. Hollis truly deserved the Victoria Cross. His accomplishments that day. And especially, you know, the care of his own men. You know, there is a real leader for you, mate. A guy who runs back in the middle of a field where he's seen three people cut down in seconds, not caring for his own safety, just for his two comrades. We could call them brothers in arms, I suppose. Yeah, you're not wrong, Eric. And what happens to Hollis after the war? Do we know? Does he make it through Normandy? He makes it through Normandy. He had a pub up in northern England, strangely enough, called the Green Harrods, <laughs> I believe. And then eventually he sold that and retired, I believe. And yeah, so he survived. You know, one of our great living heroes of the war. Stan Hollis, yeah. <laughs> brilliant story, brilliant character. And you just need to look at his picture. You can tell he was made of metal. He was a big, proud Yorkshire man. You weren't going to mess with him. <laughs> I like his story, yeah. It's a good one to do, mate, yeah. Well, Eric, thank you so much for your time, for taking us through some of the aspects of the Green Howard's actions on D-Day and beyond. And people, of course, can still follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards from Gold Beach all the way up and through towards that final objective. I did it. You are an excellent battlefield guide to take us through all of this. 
And you can either go and do this with Eric yourself, and we'll put some links down into the show notes so you can contact him. Or, to start off with, you can go and check out our new documentary out on June 6th for D-Day on History Hit TV. Thank you, Eric, so much for your time. Thank you, James. Have a wonderful day. Thanks so much for listening, and if you want more, you can now subscribe to our brilliant Warfare Wednesdays newsletter via the link in the show notes. Get cutting-edge military histories delivered directly to your inbox each Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Week every week for free. Enjoy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code Dan Snow at checkout.